Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The, uh, the late singer-songwriter Marvin Gaye wrote a song that began with these lyrics. Fathers, stop criticizing your sons. Mothers, leave your daughters alone. Can't you see that's what's wrong with the world today? That everybody wants somebody to be their own piece of clay. It's a deep temptation, isn't it? As generations move to generations, to want to see the people who are coming up after us be just like us, walk like us, keep our traditions, do the things that we did. We're not raising children, we're raising mini-me's, little clones that are supposed to be just like we are in every way, shape, or form. It's a, it's a stab at eternity from a worldly perspective. Ernst Beck once said that the fundamental reason that people begin the descent down into sin is that at some point in our lives we begin to conceive of the, of the idea of eternity, of the infinite. But in the very moment that we th- can get our minds around the idea of eternity, in that very same moment we realize that we ourselves are not eternal. And at the very core of us, it sets up this deep, visceral anxiety. And we set out to do something about it. In the shorthand, it's basically to say, I may be finite, I may be mortal, but I'm going to be a little less mortal than you. My children are going to be stronger, taller, more beautiful, and they're going to last longer than yours. Amen and amen. You can trace back so much of what ails the world today to that failure to truly understand what the Proverbs say, that you train up a child in the way that it should go, and when it is grown, it will not depart from it. Oh, there was a time when the church said there was one way, one way for everybody, one size fits all, and you just beat those children until they go in that way. But any fair and true reading of the whole of scriptures that reveals the heart and the light of God in the world, we begin to understand that when you say, train up a child in the way it should go, it's an acknowledgement that every single child among us has a different path, a different way. And the far more difficult task of parenting is to find the special way for each individual child not to impose on one for the sake of making it easy on all, but to find out just what way each child should go. Well, not every child should work with their hands for a living. Some should go to school and become doctors of philosophy. Not every child should be learned scholar. Some should be free to work with their hands. 
We put all kinds of judgments on the way that people move through this world. Some decide to have children and some decide not. But every child must choose for themselves how to respond to God. And when we say that we should train up a child in the way that it should go, what we're really saying is each child has a very special path. And the discerning mother or father seeks the way to put that child on the path that's right for him or her. Are you with me on this? I was watching a National Geographic show many years ago, and it was talking about grizzly bears. I thought, oh, bears, they're so cute and cuddly when they're on TV. Uh, Wouldn't want to meet one in the wild. Particularly not one that's just had a cub. So these mama bears, they give birth to their children, and for the next two years, the little cubs follow them around and they, they break open the logs and they teach the little cubs how to break open logs and find grubs and they teach them what berries and things to eat and the, they teach them how to fish for the, they catch the fish and throw them on the bank so that, that the little bears will get a taste for what salmon tastes like and they'll want to, to be a part of that and they, they teach them to climb up and over things and they help them struggle all their way through the forest and at the right time of year they take them into a den and they... Uh, They bed them down for their hibernation. And I imagine that for mama bears, it's just like for the rest of us. Somewhere in the middle of the hibernation, I need a drink of water or something and go back to bed. Two years this goes on to get the best training in the world on forest surviving. And then I was shocked at what came on next on this special. But at the end of about two years, Mama bear wheeled on her cubs one day and she began to box them about the ears and nip at them and growl at them and bark at them. And these poor bears, frightened for their life, ran for the nearest tree and climbed as far up as they could and she sat down there growling at them until they were purely good and terrified. And then she just ran away over the top of the next hill. It's time to grow up, kids. Time to be out on your own. Time to be on your way. These poor cubs sat up there from noonday till twilight, just, well, crying is the only word you can, ah, just making this horrible, terrible noise. And then they pulled on their big boy and girl pants, and they climbed down out of that tree, and they went off to be bears in the forest. And when one of, met one of them on that particular day, But nature gets it right. Nature understands that when we raise up our young, raise up our offsprings, we are preparing them for life without us. We are preparing them to thrive in a world where we are not there. Jesus understood this. On the very same night that he was betrayed, Jesus had uh, had already sent Judas out of the room. He had washed everyone's feet. He had begun to promise them, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I'm going to send somebody to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the advocate, the guide who will protect you. And they continued to question him about where he was going. and, And he began to say to them, now I've said it to everyone else. Now it's my turn to say it to all of you. Where I'm going next, you can't come. It's not your mission, it's mine. You need to find your mission. You need to find your way in the world. And I will no longer be with you. 
but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus did the one thing that every parent, every mother and father in this room can do. Having said all and done all that he could to keep his band of friends, his family together, he knelt down and he prayed. He prayed. He prayed the strength and the protection and the comfort and the grace of God down around those whom he loved. He wove a great legacy of love for all who would come after him. And the prayers that he prayed were brave, encouraging prayers. We've just come through a whole series in which we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and what it can do to move the church into the world. And this all happens precisely because Jesus takes the time to pray for his own followers. And what he says is, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, take them out of the forest, to save them from the hardships, to to protect them from the ordinary warp and woof of life, the way we live it in this world. God, I'm asking you to keep it in there. But I ask you to protect them in the midst of what they're doing. Not to give them a faith that flees from every, tr- uh, every sign of conflict or trouble, that runs away from injustice and, and terrified hides in the corners, but I'm asking you to give them a faith that stands in the face of injustice and says, this is not the God way, let us show you the God way. To give them a faith that is strong and vital and enduring and lasting. Father, don't take them out of the world, but protect them in the world. For they are to be my witnesses to all the world the power and the grace and the strength and the glory of God. Father, I am sanctifying myself in the gift that I am giving the world, and so sanctify them in your spirit and the word of truth. He prayed that. Any one of us who truly comes face to face with our mortality at some point or other we'll begin to understand the power and the depth of praying when nothing else can, ha- can do it. There was a woman who called my office one day and she said, the doctor won't let me come out of the house anymore. I'm homebound now. And I said, oh, Opal, I'm so sorry. And she said, no, no, that's not why I'm calling. I just wondered if it would be okay since all I can do now is pray. If I could call you every Tuesday and you could tell me what I should be praying about for my church. If all I can do now is pray, oh, Opal, that's where we all should have started in the first place, was in our prayers. I sit down and I devise schemes for my children and things that they should do and things that they are going to, all these things I want to tell them, all this wisdom I want to download. My wife, my wife, God love her, she's far more practical and far more powerful in her spiritual work. She just waits for the kids to go to school and then she goes into every one of their rooms and she spends 15 minutes praying in that place. Just praying. I've watched her do it. I've watched her launch our children into the world on the strength and the power of her prayers. Every loving mom knows what it's like to pray for those who are coming up behind. And we all know what it's like to have our mom pray. Opal, 
when she passed from this world, when she died, her daughter stood up at her funeral and said, I want to tell a story about my mom. She never spanked me, not once. Whenever I got into trouble, she sent me to her room, and then she said, now I am going to go to my room, and I'm going to pray that God will help me be a better mother to you. (laughs) The weight of that stone will stay on your heart for a long, long time. But there was no other way to do it. How How are you in your praying? Where are you in your life's journey? Do you have little ones at home? Do you surround them in your prayers? Do you cover them with everything you can spiritually? Are your kids up and out? Well, then you know that our kids are never, never done being our kids. But we can pray that they find their way. The great legacy of love that the church has given to the world is the legacy that Jesus himself modeled on the very night that he was betrayed. He prayed and he prayed. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed for the world that his father had made. But most of all, he prayed for his family of loved ones, that God would be with them, that they would know God as he knew God, that the Lord of the universe would become their Abba, their parents, their mom and dad. That they would have such an intimacy through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would be able to thrive and strive forward to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus. We have this story that we tell to the nation and it is born on the wings of love. There is no more generous or loving powerful thing that anyone can do than to pray for our children. I want to end with a personal testimony. Some of you know this about me already, but it will become apparent in a minute why I'm sharing this with you. When I was born, everything looked right and normal. I had 10 of what I was supposed to have 10 of and you know all the other stuff. I mean, they couldn't do anything about this face, but there you go. Um, I had more hair as a child than any child should have a right to, so let that be a lesson to any of you who were born with a lot of it. Um, Nothing lasts forever. But when I first began to take my first couple of steps, they noticed something was wrong. My feet were turned in horribly, pigeon-toed. Didn't know what to do. My mom sought help with my mom and dad. They found a doctor and he said, you go buy a pair of shoes that fits and I'll attach them to something. And they put me on a bar at night with my shoes like this. And every night when I went to bed, I had to sleep that way. It lasted the better part of a couple of months. And every time my mother put those shoes on my feet, she would sing to me and she would pray. Let this work, let this work. I'm too young to remember any of it. I was barely 10 or 11 months old. At first there were a lot of tears and she would 
put me in this thing and just walk in the next room and cry her own tears over there. But by the end of the process, she'd say, feet up, and I'd stick my feet in the air, and we'd made a game of it. And she'd put it on and then put me in a little sleeping sack, and in the morning, she said, with the braces on, I'd be already standing at the edge of the curb, or crib, ready to go. Friends, this has become in my life a powerful illustration of the grace of God. I did not know how to ask for my legs. I didn't even know that there would be a need to have straight legs in this world, that all of the running and jumping and making friends on the playground and all the rest of it were dependent upon my having my legs. At a time in my life when I could not have even thought to ask for it, it the grace of God was already supplied. The gift was given through my mother and father's prayers and through the intervention of our medical specialists, I stand before you with essentially straight legs today. Now, when God gives a gift in our life, especially a gift of grace, are we not under some kind of obligation to use that gift? For my life, the answer was always yes. And I ran cross country and track in high school and in college. And when I couldn't run anymore because my knees were getting creaky, I took up cycling, and I ride as often as I can. And these things I do not because I want to be Joe athlete, but because for me they're a doxology of praise. God gave me a gift, and I am obligated to use this gift in whatever way I can as a witness, as a testimony. What gifts has God given you? What did God pour into your life or into your children's life before they even knew how to ask and how, how the prayers and the interventions of those who raised you up set you on a course? More importantly, what is your doxology, your expression of praise? How are you saying, thank you, praise God from whom all blessings flow? Praise God, all creatures here below. Like Eric Little in that marvelous, marvelous movie, Chariots of Fire, who told his sister when she said, you gotta go to the mission field, and he said, I gotta go to the Olympics. And she was arguing with him, and he finally took her and shook her and said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I almost jumped out of my seat in the theater at those words. We have a right, my friends, to live lives that are filled with doxology and praise. And if God gives you the gift of music to sing at the top of your lungs and to not be shy, especially in high school, to bear witness to the love of God in this world and to share the gift that God has given you, praise God. Hallelujah. We have a holy obligation to live lives of doxology before the Lord. The doxology a word of praise, a word of thanks, a word of grace. Does this make sense? I'm covered in the legacy of my mom and dad's love because they prayed, they prayed over me, they prayed for me, and they taught me to pray with them. And I hope, by God's grace, to pass this legacy of love on to a world that needs it so much right now. So, good friends, don't think of prayer as the last option in the box. All us control freaks out there, we need to hear it again. Prayer is the first resort. It is the best resort. It is the only resort 
And through prayer, the love of God is poured into our hearts that we can pour it into the lives of everyone around us. Amen? Amen.